Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be at church, and uh, thank you, Leanne, for that um, little illustration there. I know I couldn't see exactly what was all going on. It sure had the children's attention. So, This morning, I want to think a little bit about the church and think a little bit about the importance of the church and um, value of the church, the purpose, the reason why Christ instituted the church. And uh, yeah, yesterday we were at a wedding. It was a wedding um, that where my cousin married my wife's cousin. And it was a musser marrying a nult. I just thought that was a, a good thing. It's a good thing for a musser to marry a nult. And so 12 years ago, me and my wife said, I do. We said our I do's 12 years ago. And uh, marriage is a good thing. And just being at the wedding yesterday just uh, reminded me again of the miracle of a God-ordained wedding. And the picture that it is of Christ and the church. It's a beautiful picture, Christ and the church. And I want to look a little bit this morning um, at the church. And as, as we look at the events here in the past few months, um, right up to today, all the events that took place um, in our world today, how important is it to have a brotherhood? <clears throat> how important is that? I'm thinking that all of us would say that is, is very important to have a church, a brotherhood, and that's you know the reason you came to church this morning. You wanted to, to come to church to worship God and, be, and just to be a part of church to, um, for relationships, for connection, and that's one reason for connection. Um, you know, if we went three months without seeing each other at church, how would um, you feel? You know, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure there were people that have stayed at home for three months without seeing another person. And, you know, I think you would lose your sanity. You know, God created us for relationship. He created us to, um, um, to go to church, and that's what he wants. We as a church, you know, we could still maintain that connection, and we had the hope of coming back to church again. And, you know, just being with like-minded people, of, of like-minded faith, and, and having a relationship. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today that don't have that. They don't have, don't go to a church, and maybe that's, you know, their, their, um, their call. That's what they want. But um, as I think of the church, I think of the persecuted church, um, and, you know, you think of those that are meeting in secret, and they are being squandered. They're not able to go to church like we can, and there's authorities that are, that are trying to shut the church down. And, um, you know, I feel for those people. But, you know, the church will still continue. Um, I was thinking a little bit about changes in life. Um, think of changes in church life, um, in our family, the lives of our families. There's changes, our personal lives. Um, in people all over the world, there is changes. And another thing that's changing is the news. You, the, cha the news is always changing. Um, I don't know if that rings a bell to anybody here this morning. You heard for months, you heard about this, the virus. It's all you heard about. And now, almost like a blink of an eye, it changed to the riots and the protests and, uh, and, and racism. And <clears throat> you know, that's not where I'm headed here this morning, but we're focusing on change. There is lots of change going on 
um, in the world today. And as I was thinking about change, here, just here at church, there is some changes that um, just in the, in the past few Sundays, our services had changed a little. Um, it's not, not quite normal services as we've been having, hopefully soon back to normal. But as we think about that, and um, we're planning to have an ordination here, Lord willing, in, in soon here. And that will bring a few changes to our church. And another change, we're expecting to start another church. And that will bring some changes to our church this, um, this year or next, whenever we start that. And some of us like changes, and some of us not so much change, likes changes. But change is good, as long as change is for the glory of God, as long as it's for the glory of God. If it's not for the glory of God, if it's for any other reason, then it needs to be examined. <clears throat> so as I was thinking about my life in the past five years or so, um, thinking of the changes that took place in my family's life, it could probably fill a page of all the changes that took place. And I hope every change was for God's glory. And if it wasn't, feel free to let me know. But as I was thinking about um, change, just you know, wondering, um, thinking about the next um, generation. Where do we want the gen next generation to be in 40, in 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now? And as I think of us as a church today, we are paving the way for that. And, and so the title of the message this morning is The Church, Committed and Faithful in Victorious Christian Living. Maybe it's kind of a long title there, but that's what I chose to, to fit in there. So as we look back, when we get to the end of our lives, we will look back and we want to... Um, we will look back and will we, can we say that we will have done all we can to pave the way for a faithful, committed church. And, you know, for a church that can stand the trials and the tests that come. You know, we're living in uncertain times today. And the world, I believe, is watching. The world is watching us as Christians. The world is watching the, the church, and I believe the world is watching what our response is to the drama that unfolds around us. I can guarantee you the world is watching us. And so, so I want to think a little bit about, as we were thinking about changes, um, and some things, what are some things in God's eyes that do not change? God is, is not changing. Um, as I think of some, some changes here that, that do not change in this life, taxes would be one of them. Taxes, you're always going to have to pay taxes. And I'm sure taxes won't go down. They will always go up. It seems that way. But that is certain. You always will have to pay taxes. And death is another thing. Death is certain. That's not changing. That is going to happen. Laws of nature. Um, some other things here. Human nature. Um, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Um, now, you know, and I think we've seen that this week. And the, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We see that all around us. But, you know, when Christ comes into our lives, he changes that. He can change that. Um, he can rescue us from the bondage of sin. But, you know, there still is that evil nature within us, that evil nature 
Um, but we need to let Christ allow us to wash us and free us and cleanse us. <clears throat> so some things in, in God's eyes that never change. God is unchanging. God's word never changes. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Truth is another thing. Truth does not change. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter how many people try to twist the truth and make it to sound what they want it to sound. It's truth is truth. <clears throat> um, the empty tomb, that's unchanging. That's, that's certain. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how many people try to say that the body of Jesus Christ was stolen. It is, the empty tomb is, is never changing. It will always be empty. <clears throat> God's promises never change. The promises is in his word. His holiness, God does not sin. <clears throat> his imperfections, his judgment, the Bible says the Lord will judge the ends of the earth in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. The other thing that doesn't change is God's love and the moral law, the Ten Commandments. It is written in stone. The other thing that doesn't change is God's way of salvation. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God is, is unchanging. And I think in order for the church today and each one of us as individuals to remain faithful and to remain committed and in victorious Christian living, we need to put uh, trust in God, a trust in a God that is unchanging. And, you know, yes, our lives do change. Things, events in our lives change. But God is secure. He is stable and unchanging. And we have, need to realize that we cannot do this on our own strength. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to look at a few verses here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, 19 and 22 here, says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So as we look at, at uh, each of us having part in the work of the church, um, he says, strangers and foreigners, thou, therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, so, do you feel like a stranger and a foreigner in this world today? Does anybody feel like a stranger? Um, I know sometimes it, it seems like more and more we, I feel less at home in this world, especially recently as the events take place. Um, you, I'd like to think I'd feel at home where, you know, where I live in, in close to the town of Anvil. Recently, just driving through Anvil and you see the protests and... Um, Things that are people that are protesting something that you know happened a thousand miles away, and it was a horrible thing that happened. But just to see all that and the fact that we need to wear a mask where we go, we see all these people wearing masks, and which yeah, it's it's uh, requested to do that. But you know, I, I just it seems for me it just seems like the more the uh, I feel less and less at home, if you know what I'm trying to say, and. 
But one, th- one place I do feel at home is to come to church. We come to church and we're together as God's people. It makes you feel at home. And just coming to the house of God. Um, but as he says here, um, we are no more strangers. We're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And it says, the house of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. <clears throat> And so, as we look at uh, Jesus Christ being the foundation of the church, and then the the apostles and the prophets, the stones that are laid around the chief cornerstone, building the foundation for the church today, and each one of us has a part in building them stones to build that building. And as uh, we think of the apostles and the prophets, writing the Bible. The Bible was written 1,300 years ago, or in a span of 1,300 years, approximately. And 40 different, approximately 40 different authors have wrote the Bible over that span of that many years. The Bible is the best-selling book. The Bible is the number one selling book that ever was written. Um, Now, men write books today. Men and women write books today. And there's, can be million, you know, many, many copies. But there's never, as many copies as what the Bible was. Um, and the Bible, there was close to five billion copies of the Bible, um, more than five billion. And so by writing the Bible and by the word of their testimony, the prophets and the apostles built the foundation around the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so if we look at each one of us today, we are building blocks for the church. And so if we, if we look at a building that is built today, a building is built mostly by concrete. The foundation part of a building is mostly by concrete or block. And that foundation will not last. The foundation that is built with concrete will last a long time, probably a century or more. But, you know, eventually that building will crumble, especially if there's not repairs made to that building, it will eventually crumble and fall away. Now, a stone foundation um, that was built rightly, it says, fitly, fitly framed together. If you look at a stone foundation, it can last hundreds of years if it's fitly framed together, as it says here, and it'll last for centuries. And, you know, if we, if we think about, we think about a stone foundation, you see that if a stone foundation is built properly, it will outlast any other um, foundations. And uh, over in the, the country of the city of Rome, they built seawalls many years ago. 2,000 years ago, they built seawalls. And these walls were built, they were fitly framed. They, um, some of them walls are still standing today. They would, they would put in um, volcanic ash and mix it with lime. They would mix these, these mixtures together, and over the years, the, 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 the sea water uh, pounding against these walls created, uh, it, it created like a, a solid uh, mortar, like it, it formed the mortar and kept it a solid mortar. And 2,000 years later, the water, is, it was pounding against them walls, and that wall still stands 2,000 years later. And you would never have that with any kind of mortar, concrete, Portland cement that is that is um, put 
in foundations today. So 2,000 years later, some of them walls are still standing. I wish I had some pictures to put up here on an overhead, but didn't get there yet. I'll get there someday. But these walls are, are, are long-lasting. And as we think about the church that is built, each person, each Christian that is, uh, is in the church aids in the building of that wall. And, you know, as long as we're doing our part and we're in our place, we're in God's will, we're building that wall securely, fitly framed, that, is, that will last for centuries. It will last a long time, forever, really. Now, a stone wall, a stone wall will crumble. If you, there's certain stone walls around that you can see that were built many years ago, and you see them crumbling. You see them falling apart, and you have to rebuild them, re-mortar re, re them. But why is that wall falling? That wall is falling apart because of the mortar that's breaking down in that foundation. The mortar that is in that wall is what is breaking down. Now a wall, if you set, if you build a wall with stones and lay it without any mortar, it's, it's not gonna last long. I mean, I, behind my house there, I just had some extra rocks, so I set up a little wall there, kind of out behind the, the house there, and I don't know how long it's gonna stay, um, but probably not long. Because I didn't, put, I didn't put mortar in that wall besides a little bit of whatever it was, caulking. That's not going to last long. You need to have good mortar in a wall to be a solid. Because that's what, that's, what, that's what causes a building to crumble, a wall to crumble. And as we think about the mortar that is in the seawalls there in Rome, they, they will last. They lasted millenniums on end because of the, for, the, the binding of the mortar that is in those walls. And, you know, as we think about the church today, uh, we think about um, when we build, building the wall, think about the mortar that is in there, um, in those walls. It's our love for each other and our love for Jesus Christ that bonds us together and forms that mortar that is, is solid, it is secure. It, it is, is formed in a way that the enemy cannot break us, cannot break us down. And, you know, just to see the church built, um, faithful and committed church. And I was just encouraged as I was thinking about that, um, thinking about bonding. <clears throat> so this morning, you're in Ephesians 2. Why don't you flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to briefly go through this text here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of you is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same, also that the ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth 
be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So I'm going to just jump through this real briefly here as we look at the first verse. Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord. He doesn't say the prisoner of Nero. He says the prisoner of the Lord. I find that interesting. Um, but it's, he says that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Um, you know, just live faithfully where God has placed you, where God has called you, right where you are. And there's... Plenty, there's many mothers here this morning. The vocation wherewith you are called. You have a great responsibility to raise children. And that is, that is a tremendous responsibility that God has, has called you. A vocation wherewith you are called. And maybe you're here this morning and you've worked at the same job for 30 years. And, you know, it's a vocation wherewith you are called. Continue serving the Lord. <clears throat> Work as to the Lord. Live in a way that you will not be ashamed. And the only way we can do that is to submit to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's uh, leading, and follow his leading. And then he goes on to say, with long-suffering. So we think of long-suffering. How easy is it to be long-suffering? I don't find it very easy to be long-suffering when I'm behind a slow, slow pokey driver. And <clears throat> I don't know, maybe the, maybe the neighbor lets the dogs bark all night, nonstop. Sometimes it's hard to be long-suffering, but we need to be long-suffering. It says, forbearing one another in love. Is there someone that just irritates you, that just gets under your skin? Forbearing one another in love. Tolerance for that person that really irritates you or aggravates you. You know, it's the same love that Christ has for us when we are unloving to others. It's an agape love. And then he goes on to say, in the unity of the Spirit. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if we look at what the Greek word says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, it literally means to knock oneself, ourselves out to keep the unity of the Spirit. To knock ourselves out to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's pretty strong language there, but it comes from the Greek. So, you know, Christ wants nothing more than unity. He, he, he hates strife and, and divisions because what they do is they lead to a, a poor testimony. And then he goes on how to see how, you know, be unified, be in one in body and spirit. And in verse 7, he talks about grace. But unto every one of us is given grace. God supplies grace. You know, we work together as a church and we are victorious in our Christian lives. God supplies grace. And, and then he also mentions edifying. And... To edify is to instruct, to enlighten, to inform, improve, become more like Christ as we are edified and as we work together. Verse 14, I just want to skip over to verse 14. That we be henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men. Um, he likens this to... Um, being not like children. Now there's plenty of places in the Bible where Christ tells us to be like children, to be, have the faith of a child and, and, and be like a, that child. But here, do not be like the child. A child who is 
is um, maybe more easily swayed than an adult. Uh, prone to be swayed maybe by the latest fad or um, trend. They don't put, stay put very long, constantly moving from one thing to the next. Um, maybe short attention spans. But don't be like that boat in the ocean that is constantly rocking and that is uncontrolled, that is uncontrolled. Be rooted in truth, um, not easily swayed by every wind of doctrine. And that's why we have God's word. And then he says in verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by every, which every joint supply. Sorry. 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And you think of the whole of the body fitly joined together, the church working together. And it, it reminds me of an engine, how an engine needs to work. Every part of an engine needs to work, and it is timed perfectly in order to... Um, Move the vehicle in the direction that the driver wants it to go. That's the purpose of an engine. And recently I have, a, have a, a, an older pickup truck. It's close to 300,000 miles. It's a, it it uh, still runs, so I keep running it. And uh, recently the spark, the, it wasn't running right, so I took it into my mechanic, and he um, yeah, changed, the, changed all the spark plugs, and I was back on the road, back and going again, and it's running great. And so all it took was a, a little spark plug. And, um, and some of us this week, this past week, found out when an engine, when a, a part of your vehicle is not working, you will not be able to go. You will be left sit along the road, and it's not exciting. It is not fun. We need, every part needs to work in order for that um, vehicle to go. And, you know, that works the same way, I think, in the church, in the body. If there's... Um, you know, when one person is hurting, when one, per one person is down, it affects us all. And we share each other's burdens. <clears throat> so this book I have along here this morning is The Victorious Life. I don't know if anybody ever read it or, or, or seen it before. I remember it because back when I was a teenager, I had, had a uh, Wednesday evening prayer meeting. And I remember going through this, the second and third chapter of this book. And I, was just, I just remember the book because I remember that. I was extremely nervous. And, uh, but anyway, this is uh, written by John Koblenz. It's a very good book. And there's three points in here that on the purpose of the church, that, and there's, there's many, more, many more purposes of the church, but three that I grabbed out of this book. The first one is it exists for the glory of God. God deserves the glory, and he expects it. He wants it in the church and you know the church building that that we are in this morning is a place of worship where believers where the church can sense God's presence and um, be drawn close to him it's a place where God speaks to his people and the Holy Spirit moves <clears throat> and uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about God's presence God's presence comes to us in the church. God's presence is at many places as well, many other places as well than just church. Um, I, I, I was just thinking about this week, um, as we think about God's presence, don't you sense God's presence when you see a sunset or creation, just the beauty of, 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 it, of creation. And just this week, Wednesday night, as I was in the study preparing for this, I, uh, 
a vicious storm came through. I mean, it was an extremely, uh, yeah, very bad thunderstorm came through there and uh, the power, the, the electric went out. And so it was getting towards the evening and it was starting to get dark, a little dark. And so I had a candle set up there and, and uh, not a whole lot of light. I get pretty used to the LED lighting in the house that very, you know, you can see what you're reading. And I had to imagine people, you know, before they had electricity, sitting there with this candle and trying to study, trying to look at, you know, what they're, what they're reading. And, uh, you know, as I, as I thought, of, thought of that, you know, the storm came through and it was a vicious storm came through. And then after the storm passed, I looked out the window and it's getting dark and it's just a, a glorious sunset. It was just, it was amazing. And, you know, as I'm thinking about that, God brings storms into our lives. He does. But then, then after the storm, um, he gives us peace and rest after the storm. And, you know, storms come in life. Um, storms will come in life. But if we trust in God, he will give us peace and rest through the storm. And maybe, you know, as we come to church and we meet corporately as a church, as a body of believers, um, maybe there's a storm in your life. I, mean, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but allow God to work in, through you, through each other, and he calms the storm. And he brings encouragement and life and vitality to um, our lives. Secondly, for growth and spiritual development of believers. That's the other reason the church, the, the, God ordained the church. Um, you know, going to church is on decline in America. 51% say they go to church once a month or up to multiple times per week. 49% say they rarely or never go to church. Now, these are some statistics that I found. Hopefully, they're not right. Um, but... It is sad as we see the breakdown of the family unit in our, in our country, the, the breakdown of um, the moral decay that we see. Uh, but the good news is our churches at home here are filling and we see the love of Jesus presented and displayed at church. Um, the truth is taught and, and people have a genuine, I see we here as a church have a genuine desire to serve Jesus Christ and it, it is encouraging. <clears throat> And so we work together as a church. We work together and for a common goal. Thirdly, the church exists to proclaim Jesus to the world. And I would love to read through this here. I'm running out of time, but every believer i'm just going to read something here in this in this section i thought was interesting every believer can give a testimony of salvation through G through christ and jesus also gives a special anointing to some believers to be evangelists bearers of the good news the work of bringing others to jesus however is not primarily the work of individuals it is the work of the body of believers it takes the assembly to show jesus to the lost Individuals give their testimony, and some devote much of their time and resources to evangelism, but to bring the knowledge of Jesus to the lost takes more than one member can do. Unbelievers need to be brought into contact with the body of Jesus, the church. They need to see the love, the care, the nurture, the worship, and the ministry of the body of Christ to truly know Jesus and be drawn into faith. And so I just, yeah, thought that's pretty interesting there, something to, to think about. Um, so to be 
victorious in our Christian lives. We need to be the salt and the light. And I would love to turn back to Matthew, but I'm not going to have time. Uh, it talks about the salt and the light. Um, I'll just quickly look there at verse 5 that says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. So salt, salt adds flavor. And it, it adds, you know, some food would be pretty dull without salt. And it reminds me of uh, somebody that I seen at a, a restaurant not too long ago. He was probably in his 70s, I'm guessing. And I'm not sure if his taste buds weren't working so good uh, or what, but he, I've never seen anybody use salt to that extreme that he had used salt. He took that salt shaker and, and vigorously shook for probably, I'm guessing, 15 seconds, almost 15 seconds. And I, I couldn't believe how much salt he was using. So we actually happened to go in there the second time in the same weekend, the same restaurant, we were on a trip. And... I seen him at the same, sitting at the same spot doing the same thing two times. And I, I was just amazed at how much salt. He was using salt as a necessary element in his tasting process. He was, he was overcome with salt. He needed lots of salt. But you know what salt, what salt does. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is good for nothing. So we need to, you know, if the salt is not working, if something is not working and not bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ, we need to throw it out. It's worthless. And it's like Jesus talking about pruning the branches. You know, if things are not productive in our lives, if they are, are, are not useful and it's stunting our growth, we need to get rid of it. <clears throat> to be victorious as a faithful church, we need to be aware of false teachers. I'm just going to skip over that. Just be aware of false teachers. There's many, many teachers out there in the world today that we need to be um, aware of, false deceivers. To be victorious, we need to be aware of the attacks of the enemy. You know, the church today is under attack like never before. <clears throat> it, it really is. And Satan is trying everything he can do. There's a, a story here, and I can't hardly close here without going to this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, you don't have to turn to it, but read it sometime after, after, the, after church today. Um, it's a story of the Moabites and the Ammonites. When they came up against Israel, Israel was at a crossroads, and these, these great company of, of enemies came up against Israel, and they were going to go to battle with them. And... It says, and, and they prayed, and they sought the Lord. Lord, Lord what, what will you have us to do? Uh, o, o our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And then in verse 13 it says, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Imagine the scene there. They stood before the Lord, the whole company, then upon Jehaz Jehaziel came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And he goes on to say how tomorrow you shall go down against, he's going to go down against them, and he says, Fear not, nor be dismayed, Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. 
And that is such an encouraging story. Then it goes on to say how the, the Israelites got singers and they went up there on that, on the, wherever it was against this army that was coming against them and they sang. They sang and praised God. And what happened was God put ambushments. It says God put ambushments in the enemy and they killed each other. They fought against each other. And so that was God. God, there's one example of God working on behalf of his people and fighting for him. When the church prays and seeks the Lord, the forces of evil tremble. No match for Jesus. Um, the battle is the Lord's. You know, he is much stronger than any, than any enemy that we will face in this life. And that's a, that's a comfort to us here this morning. The Lord will be with you. And that's what Jesus does. He is with us as we conquer our battles, as we work together as a church, and as we um, aim to be a victorious church, faithful and committed to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so at this time, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then after the prayer, uh, Philip, you can um, lead a song, and then we'll consider ourselves dismissed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning thanking you for the church, Thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. I thank you that um, we uh, can be victorious, that you gave us the power and the ability to remain victorious and to live Christian lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. We thank you for who you are, that you instituted the church, and that you um, are coming back for us someday. Lord, we look forward to that day when you will come in the skies and that we can be together with you in heaven forever. And I just pray that you help us to be faithful, Lord, um, that when we come to the end of our lives, that we will look back and say that we have done what we could to further the work of the church and that we could be faithful in our lives with you. Lord, just lead God and direct us as we go throughout this week. Um, just help us to be the salt and the light that you want us to be. Lord, I pray for each one here. I just pray that you would lead, guide, and direct us as we go um, from here. In your name I pray, amen. Why don't we all stand, and then Philip, if you want to lead us in a song, and then you can consider yourselves dismissed.